Hi Jubilee, uh, so good to be with you again today. Uh, I've uh, always had this idea uh, that fishing would be a good thing. I, I'd, I've always had this idea that, that, I don't know, something about sitting by a gentle flowing river with trees gently blowing in the breeze, surrounded by fields, the birds singing, the cows smiling and swishing their tails on a beautiful summer's day. Great idea, but that's as far as it ever goes, because I know the reality that I'm just not the right kind of person for fishing. I, sitting around all day, doing nothing, I'm just not patient enough. I can barely sit still for five minutes, let alone the hours that are required for fishing. But my brother-in-law, John, he's very different. He's got a very different kind of disposition and he's an avid fisherman and he will often go off for days and come back with actually nothing uh, because they're not allowed to keep the fish that they catch which kind of defeats the object but he loves fishing and gets a lot of satisfaction out of it and I was talking to him recently and he was telling me that there's actually quite an art to fishing. He says You've got to find the right place and you've got to find the right time. Uh, you've got to pick your spot and get there at the right time of day because apparently fish are quite choosy about such things. And you also need a lure or a bait, something that will attract the fish's attention. And that will depend on the kind of fish that you're trying to catch because different fish are attracted by different things. Whoever knew this stuff? And you also need a hook with a barb uh, so that once they've taken the bait, you've got them. They can't escape uh, because the barb won't let them swim off the hook. So you can reel them in and take them home for dinner or throw them back because fishing is a really crazy idea if you can't eat what you can catch. But look, just in case you think you've tuned into the fishing channel, I'm going somewhere with this because how a fisherman catches fish is exactly how temptation works to trap us into all kinds of patterns of sin that are hard to break out of. And the baited hook is designed to distract you, to trap you, to keep you, and ultimately to destroy you. So don't go near the baited hook. And that's what James is talking about here in chapter one. Because trials, the trials that we face, and not just the things that happen all around us, they're also what's going on inside of us. We're tempted to sin in all kinds of ways. So how does your faith stand up to temptation? And temptation is a problem, especially during times of trial, because we're more vulnerable when we're stressed, when we're anxious, we're distracted or insecure. So that's kind of like the right time right place, just as I was saying, for catching fish. And many of us at the moment are alone for hours at a time. We're far away from friends, family, work colleagues, and we're stuck in front of a computer and never far away from the fridge or the snack drawer. You know what I'm saying? Well, James, knowing what the people in Jerusalem church were going through, knew that they would be vulnerable to all kinds of temptations. So he gives them some incredible insights into how temptation works and how to disarm it before it hooks us in and leads us into sin. So I'm just going to read the passage to you and then we're going to work through it. So James chapter 1 verses 13 
to 15 goes like this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, the first thing I want you to see here is that we are all tempted. And notice what James says. He says, when tempted, not if, because we are all tempted. Nobody's excluded. And it doesn't make any difference if you're rich or poor, you're great or small, how much you pray or read the Bible. We're all tempted. And even Jesus was, actually. It's just that he never sinned. And that's important for us to know because... uh, Being tempted isn't the same thing as sin. Don't fall for that. Don't give in to an area of weakness just because the temptation has already made you feel guilty by association. I know that one's caught me out in the past. And of course, different people struggle with different things. What may tempt you won't tempt me. And what tempts me, you'll say, what were you thinking? That would never tempt me. And your weaknesses aren't the same as mine and vice versa, but we're all tempted. And the fisherman knows very well the bait that suits each one of us perfectly. And you should know this too. You should know and be real about your own vulnerabilities so that you can guard yourself and learn how to overcome your own particular temptations. And this might avoid this might mean avoiding certain times and places or even being able to share with some trusted friends who can, you can call upon when you're struggling. And maybe you can stand with them in their hour of need too, because their weaknesses are probably not the same as yours. But get this, isolation leads to condemnation and victimization, whereas accountability leads to friendship and the deepening of relationship. I'll say that again. Isolation leads to condemnation and victimization, whereas accountability leads to friendship and the deepening of relationship. Because we need each other in this. You know, our faith is strengthened in community. But who is the fisherman or woman in this picture? What's the identity of the enemy that's out to get us? Well, James tells us quite plainly, it's not God. He's, he's very clear about this. And just as before we saw how God is not the source of our trials, he's not the author of any kind of evil. You know, he didn't send corona and he doesn't tempt us with sin. But then did you notice that neither does James blame the devil? And that's because the devil just doesn't have that kind of power. He can't force us to do anything. So the argument of the devil made me do it just doesn't stand, especially for the Christian. And actually, the only power Satan has over us is the power that we give him when we agree with his lies. I'm going to say that again as well, because the only power that Satan has over you is the power that you give him when you agree with his lies. You know, he's called the tempter, but that's all that he can do, tempt us. He can provide bait, he can wave an attractive lure, but he can never make us sin. We do that all by ourselves. 
And so James says we have to take personal responsibility and ask God to help us. So verse 14 there says, each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Uh, there's an insight that I see in James's teaching, which I think is quite profound. Uh, we saw last time that God uses trials to test us and bring out the gold. In temptation, we see that God uses or allows the devil to tempt us in order to deal with our evil desires. Think about that. You see, it's about our sanctification and the purification of our faith. So will you let God sanctify you? Will you let him deal with your evil desires? I suppose we better answer the question then, what is an evil desire? Well, it's not who we are anymore, but it is sometimes what we still like to do. Because although it's true that we are now in Christ and the old is gone and the new has come, so that it's no longer our nature to sin, there are still some old patterns of behaviour that have yet to catch up with the new reality of who we are now. And evil desires come from those unsurrendered parts of us that still seek to live independently of God. So places where there is still selfishness, rebelliousness, lust, envy, control, and so on, because none of us is yet the finished article. No, none of us. And there are still aspects of our behaviour that still need to be broken and put to death. Now, temptation is designed to reveal these areas so that what is hidden comes to light, so that it can be brought to Jesus through the Holy Spirit and nailed to the cross. See, for years, I didn't know this, and I thought it was my job to battle against temptation and do my best to hide my weaknesses from other people. I thought I was stuck with these destructive patterns of behaviour until I realised that my awareness of these desires meant that rather than disqualifying me, I could actually deal with them. And so instead of hopelessly giving in to sin, because that's where condemnation takes us, we can confess the continuing, in the continuing existence of these evil or wrong desires to God and to one another and give him the opportunity to start dealing with him, asking him to crucify them and put them to death. So which ones are you battling with at the moment? Which desires are nagging at you? You know, those old desires that are as familiar to you as old friends you used to like but can't bear the sight of anymore. Right now, you can name them and shame them and bring them captive to God and ask him to put them to death. I mean, should we do that? That, that evil desire that just came to your mind, as I was saying as well, should we just bring it to him right now and deal with it? I'm just going to pray for you, and if that... What I've said is, is resonating with you. I want you to pray this with me. And here it goes. It says, Lord, I recognise this evil desire. And then you just fill in the blanks, whatever it is. This evil desire. Now, Lord, I want you to deal with it. Jesus, I confess this evil desire to you. And I ask you to put it to death 
nailing it to the cross. Lord, will you break the stronghold in my thinking and set me free in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me so that I can walk in freedom. Amen. Amen. That's it. That's how you do it. That's how you bring it to him. Reframe how you see it. That evil desire that's bugged you for so long can be confessed and handed over to God. Your weakness becomes his opportunity. Your vulnerability becomes his strength. We don't need to battle with them anymore. Give them to God and make them his problem. So we may know what evil desire is lurking, but just in case you don't, or you've forgotten, or perhaps you're not even wanting to confront it at the moment, here's how you know. It's brought out by the bait or the lure. So what is the bait or the lure? Well, it, it's the first thing that catches your eye. It's how the temptation starts. It, it takes your fancy, it distracts you. It becomes a nagging thought. It just won't go away. It entices you. And in some way, it justifies itself to you. It speaks to the desire that you are now beginning to wrestle with. And so Eve, Genesis tells us, was tempted when she saw that the fruit of the tree was good to eat, pleasing to the eye, and would even make her wise. I mean, it's even quite a rational line of thinking, isn't it? Good to eat, pleasing to the eye, and it would make her wise. And the lure kind of justifies itself to you. And this was the case for Jesus too, who was tempted to turn stones into bread when he was hungry after fasting for 40 days. Well, he would be hungry, wouldn't he? So the bait can even be quite rational. Although it's not always the case, sometimes the desire is just because I want it, I need it, I deserve it, I've been working really hard, give me a break. And that's generally my approach to eating chocolate. But this is how the tempter works and offers the bait. He speaks to the sinful desire that he knows or suspects we have. Because you see, Satan isn't all-knowing like God. He can't read your mind and so he doesn't actually know what you're thinking. But after thousands of years of observing human behaviour, he can make some pretty good guesses. And the moment, but the moment that the bait is being offered is the moment you still have a choice because you haven't sinned yet, but you're being offered the opportunity to sin and it's tantalizing. You're caught in the moment of trying to rationalize, trying to decide. And there are two things that you must do at this point. And the first one is use this opportunity to name and shame the sinful desire and bring it to God. Confess it to him. Ask him to deal with it, as I've just shown you. And secondly, exercise your authority in Christ. Rebuke the tempter. I would say something like, Satan, I rebuke you. Leave me, leave my presence right now in Jesus' name. And you might have to do this several times, but he will leave you. He has to. Uh, you're not a victim to him. And as a powerful child of God, you've got authority. He actually runs. Uh, I even encountered that on one occasion where I rebuked him and there was running feet across the room and the window shook because I'd rebuked him. 
But of course, you may do none of these things. Instead, you might take the bait and suddenly you find the barbed hook in your mouth and you fall into sin. So verse 14, again, it says that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire, which is about the barb and the hook. So what is the barbed hook? Well, it's the place where you get stuck. We've messed up and we can't get out of it now. We've been reeled into the sin that our evil desire has trapped us into. It's done. You've done it. (laughs) And what tends to happen next is lots of negative feelings. We slink around in self-pity. We are wallowing, beating ourselves up and all that kind of thing. We even say sorry to God, but we don't feel any better until we get to the point where we think that maybe God's forgotten about it now and it's safe to come out. Is it just me? I know. But guys, this isn't the time to mope or go into hiding. Yes, you've sinned, but God guarantees forgiveness because of Jesus and cleansing in his blood, healing in his presence. So go to him. Don't run away. I love this comparison I read recently between religion and gospel. It says, religion says, oh no, I've messed up. My dad is going to kill me. And the gospel is, oh no, I've messed up. I need to call my dad. (laughs) I have to say that being able to come to God immediately and rigorously confess my sin, dealing with it quickly, has been one of the big keys for me in learning how to walk free. Yes, it's hard. Yes, we're disappointed with ourselves. We feel ashamed and all the rest. But the Father is the only one who can heal, restore and forgive us. So we need to come to him. We need to come to him straight away. But when we come to him, don't just confess your sin. Also receive forgiveness. Don't just confess, receive forgiveness. That's the bit people forget. We confess, we confess Don't feel any better, so better confess again. No, receive forgiveness and then walk free from condemnation. I still remember the moment I realised the subtlety of this trap and the gleeful sense of joy when this time I decided not to punish myself, but chose instead to deliberately receive forgiveness, even to forgive myself. And you know, it feels so good to be forgiven. Finally, James warns us about the danger of not bringing our evil desires to God and dealing with our sin before it becomes full grown. Verse 15, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Well, what's this about? Well, this is about taking the fish home for dinner. James is warning us that if we don't deal with the evil desires that make us vulnerable, the risk is that we develop unhealthy patterns of behaviour which make us captives of the enemy who then starts taking us home for dinner. And why would he want to do that? To devour us. We come into bondage in those areas where we've come into agreement with the enemy instead of God so that he begins to have power over us, to oppress us, and that all he has to do is just pull on the hook that's already in our mouths, and we find we're powerless to resist. We're literally hooked on that area of sin. Now, full-grown sin leads to death, death of relationship, death of joy, death 
of peace, all those things. And it doesn't happen overnight. Actually, this kind of stronghold takes years to build. And the picture James uses, I don't know if you noticed, is, is one of conception, pregnancy, and birth. He says, after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So for a, a baby to grow to full grown takes time. And if this has happened to you, or even if you're at risk of this, then you're going to need some help to break free. I know I got to the danger point of this kind of bondage in an area of my life some years ago. And fortunately, I realized the danger that I was in. I had this thought that I was about to go too far. And that if I carried on, there'd be no guarantee I'd ever be able to come up, come back, that I wouldn't be able to repent anymore. I wouldn't feel sorry anymore. The Bible talks about our conscience being seared with a hot iron. And it really shocked me. I, that feeling, I, I realised that I might just tip over into that place. And the fear of God came on me and it pulled me back. And I want that for you. If you're stuck, if you're trapped in that place, I want the fear of God to come on you so that you can come out of that place. Because you see, you don't have to stay in that trap. You can ask God to rescue you and pull you out of that bondage so that you can walk free. But you won't be able to do it all by yourself. You won't be able to do it by human effort alone, just like you could never save yourself in the first place you're going to need his help and probably the help of a few other people as well but don't get landed don't get taken home for dinner come to god and ask him for help let god deal with the root of your sinful habit the evil desires and ask him to change your heart ask him to give you new new desires and make you free because you're not a victim and you don't have to stay bound. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, if I'm talking to anyone in particular, and I think I might be, please do make a point of contact with me. I'd love to help you to walk free at this time. Look, this is what James shows us, that there's a progression into bondage and sin that we can completely avoid Deal with the evil desires that make us vulnerable to temptation. Don't bite. <laughs> Don't even go near that baited hook. Just want to finish with praying for you. So let's just assume the position and let's just finish with prayer. Father, I want to ask you that you would keep us from temptation. Father, will you keep us from the enticement to sin? Will you protect us from the enemy's schemes? And Holy Spirit, help us to be aware of the evil desires that make us so vulnerable. Fill us so that we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And Father, I want to ask you that you give us quick and responsive hearts to deal with those areas that you're putting your finger on right now. And Lord, when we mess up, will you show us your grace? Keep us from the trap of condemnation. Lord, we ask you for more freedom. Show us your truth and set us free, for who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen.
Bless you guys, and thanks for listening.